0: Our pastor this morning will be Parker Tennant. He's joining us from IPC right down the road on Walnut Grove, Uh, and we look forward to him as he brings the gospel to us this morning. So, good morning. It is again just a blessing to be with you. It's an honor to open up God's word and be fed with you through God's word, and so I'm encourage you to turn with me to Psalm 46. I think it's there in your bulletin on page 12. So this is God's word for us this morning, and this is a psalm, a song for God's people to sing. The psalms are unique. They really speak to our experiences, human beings living in this world. The psalmist here, Alamoth, mentions earth five times. So he's talking about what it's like to live and be present in this place. And so let's hear God's word. And then I'll pray for us and we'll jump right in. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do bow our heads, acknowledging your presence with us, that you delight to be with your people, for you are the true worship leader. You are guiding our hearts. You are uniting us together as a congregation this morning to worship you. And we know from your word it's never a good thing to presume your presence, and so we ask by your grace that you would invade this place, not only this space, but you invade all of our hearts this morning, that we would know that your presence is with us. Sure, we know theologically that you are omnipresent, but we want to know and feel your presence. We want to sense your presence with us. And so would you, by grace, open all of our hearts to know and to experience your presence with us this morning as we look at your word, Before we ask this in Christ's name, amen. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question, maybe a question that you've asked yourself before. It's a question that. I'm sure lots of ink has been spilled over, and that is this. What what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human? In 2015, Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, was puzzled by this question, and so he created this competition. Who could answer that question the best? What does it mean to be human? And he himself made an entry. And listen to what he said. Humans are incredibly unique, and we can see that by the environment we built, the things we've invented, other animals learn, other animals are social, but we become so deeply social and learned how to pass knowledge on from generation to generation. Initially verbally, then in written form, and now we have the digital revolution. So each generation builds on the next to help us not only build tools, but even ask questions about why are we here? What's our purpose? So we are very different than all the other animals. If I was to sum up what Bill Gates thought humanity is all about, he'd say it's about having an intellectual, rational mind where you can... Dig into this creation, it for all that it's worth, take it in, process it, and pass it on to generations. And by God's grace, Bill Gates isn't wrong. We are creatures that have rational minds, that God has called us to move out into his creation, mine it for his glory. Now, there's two ways to answer this question. What does it mean to be human? There is an objective way to answer this question, something that many of us in here will run to, which is God created us in his image. We mirror our creator. We mirror him mentally and morally and socially. We have rational minds. We're able to, again, mine this creation to investigate it for the glory of God. We're moral creatures. We have the law of God written on our hearts. We know what good and evil are. And we're social creatures. We live in relationship. We long to know love, kindness, affection. All these things mirror our Creator for we're created the image of God. And that's one way to answer that question objectively. But when you, when you dive into the Bible... When you look at the story of God, the Bible doesn't let us stop there. Yes, we're creating the image of God, but he doesn't stop there. There's a subjective experience living in this world. Just think with me for a second. What's the very first emotional experience, subjective experience that humanity has in the Bible? Well, it's Genesis 3.10, where God says this, But the Lord Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. The first explicit emotion that humanity has is fear. And then think about how the Bible ends, Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea Was no more. Now, when John sees this great revelation of the new heavens and the new earth coming down, and he says there is no more sea, he's not saying there will not be any bodies of water when Jesus returns. It's not like the Mediterranean Sea is going to evaporate or the Red Sea. No. What he means by there will be no more sea is that there will be no more fear. No more anxiety. For bodies of water during that time represented chaos, represented fear, anxiety. Think about the disciples as they went out on the Sea of Galilee. And so the Bible begins with fear and the Bible ends with fear. And not to mention, what's the number one or the most frequent command of all the Bible? Do not fear. Be not afraid. And so what I want to submit to you this morning, and I think the Bible submits to us, is what does it mean to be human? It means to be afraid. It means to know anxiety. A dull sense of fear. And it makes sense as you think about it. This world is broken. It's torn apart by all kinds of evils. There's a lot of violence in this world. And the psalmist here actually alludes to these violence creators. Think about verses 2 and 3. He speaks of the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swell. He's talking about natural disasters. Again, he's talking about political unrest. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. And then he talks about wars. Verse 9, he makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He's picturing for you and for me today in this world, living on this earth is a scary thing. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The word there for trouble means anxiety, means distress. Therefore, we will not fear, he says. The psalmist is aware of what it means to be human. And so what's his answer? What is his answer to this issue of fear in our lives? But the presence of God. This psalm is riddled with references to God's presence with his people all over. Verse 1, a very present help in trouble. Verse 4, the holy habitation of the Most High, that God comes near and lives with us. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. Speaking of the city of God, the spiritual city of God dwelling with his people. Verse 5, he helps her when morning dawns. Verse 7 and 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. What is the remedy, what is the antidote to being human living in a fearful world, knowing that anxiety deep down inside your hearts, but the presence of God. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, but I can assure you that there's some kind of fear you're experiencing. I have no doubt that you have some anxiety about the next pastor. When is the search going to be over? Who is he going to be? Will I be able to relate to him? Will he be like Nathan? or not you all have fear everybody in here including myself the question is what are you doing with it how are you handling it well the psalmist teaches us how do we handle our fear it's the presence of God now why why is the presence of God so helpful with an anxious heart with a fearful heart. He tells us that in verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is a fortress. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is a fortress. Those words there for God being a fortress and God being a refuge are very similar words, meaning the same exact thing, which is God is a shelter. God is a a safe place for you and for me in a very scary, anxious-filled world. The presence of God is a safe place. Now, what does it mean? What is a safe place? That's kind of a vague term. Well, there are two things that come into, uh, I think, the Bible's understanding of a safe place, and is this, that God, as a safe place, is a protector. He protects his people. We see that all throughout this, that God, of the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob is a fortress. He is a refuge. Those two pictures, fortress, refuge, picture of a, um, a castle, if you will, where you can run and you can be safe. You can hide. And God is that for you. And for me, several months ago, I went to Puerto Rico on a mission trip. And there we got to explore in San Juan, Puerto Rico, a great Spanish fort in old, old San Juan. This massive fortress. And as we toured it, we understood it was very, very... Um, focused on protecting the island. For there are all kinds of alleys for cannons, for military operations, looking out over the ocean in this case somebody wanted to invade the island. And so it felt safe. Thick walls, high walls that you could run to. And that's the picture here. That God is, a, God is present with you to run to him. And no safety. Now, I'm so glad somebody this morning prayed that that I'd wrestle with this text because I have wrestled with this. And hopefully, you're wrestling with what I just said. Because there are all kinds of people, there are all kinds of individuals in this place that are hurting, that the evil of this world has leaned into. You've known people that have lost their lives. All kinds of Christians all over the world are persecuted. They're murdered. They're killed. You know persecution with disease, with family dysfunction. And you might ask yourself, well, where was God? How was he my protector there? How can God call himself a refuge and a strength when he allows that to happen to me or to my neighbor or to my friend? I've wrestled with that. And the story of the Bible is not that God is going to protect you from all ills. Yes, God does move in and by his supernatural power protect us at times. But we know this life is a life of suffering as we follow with Christ. That the evil of this world leans into your life, leans into this place, leans into the church. And there's hurt and there's pain. And people lose their lives for the sake of Christ. Does it mean that God was not their refuge and God was not a fortress for them? No, it doesn't mean that. The psalmist here, I believe, is talking about our hearts. That God is always a safe place to take your heart, to take yourself, to take your humanity, to take who who you are and all of your mess, and all of your characteristics and all of your story, you can take it to Him and be safe. He knows you, He made you. And He's a safe place for you, He's a refuge, a high tower. And He's the ultimate protector of your heart. And that's the secret. That's the secret this morning that you know and I know that there really isn't a safe place in this world. Now, there's safer places and safest places, your family, your marriage, your church, places where you can go and be yourself, but they're not all safe. There's sin, there's evil in this world. But the safest place, the only place that you can go, that I can go, to take our hearts is to God, because he knows no sin. He knows no evil. And he knows you. So what a safe place is, is a place of protection. But it's also a place of life. That's what a fortress is. When I was there in Puerto Rico looking at that castle, I was stunned by how vast and how uh, huge it was. And yet, as you looked at The outside, you saw it as a military fort, but as you moved inside, you saw other things like a marketplace, like barracks, like where people lived, where people had life. They were safe, and so they were able to live. And so what is a safe place? A safe safe place where you know protection and you're able to live, and that's the point here in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. What is a river? But a symbol of life. All major cities during this time, our major city, is built upon what? Upon a river, a source of water, where people could live and could grow. They could have life. And God himself is that, for you and for me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me but by my Father. And so Jesus as a refuge, or God as our refuge, is not only a protector, but he's a place that you can have life, you can have freedom, you can live. And you can know that he's present with you. God is not only a safe place, he's a helper. Twice, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and a strength, a very present help, in times of trouble, verse 3, God in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. This sense of having an assistant, that's what the word means there. To have something that follows you around, that's there, that's near you. Where it says a very present help in trouble, that, that's a difficult Hebrew word to, to translate, but it basically means able to be found, easily found. And God is easily found in your life. You don't have to search out for him. He's right there as a help, as an assistant. And whenever you find yourself, God is there. You never have to ask, well, I wish God was with me. Where was God when I needed him? You never have to ask that because he's there. He's present with you. He is a help. A couple of weeks ago, I had some miraculous spiritual event happen in my household. (laughs) I came home one afternoon, and my son had a basketball game that night, and he had lost his shorts. We couldn't find his basketball shorts. We had his jerseys, but not his shorts. And so the whole family, all six of us, searched the whole house to find his shorts. And we thought they would be near the dirty clothes bin. Uh, He told us that's where he put them. Well, they weren't there and the dirty clothes bin is in my closet. So I went in and out of my closet. I don't know how many times taking everything out, putting everything back in. We searched the whole house. Every one of us, my three-year-old all the way up to me looking for these shorts and they're not hard to find. They're bright purple. So thinking about this sermon, I I prayed, God, you said that you are very present help in trouble. We're feeling anxiety and stress. We need some help. Can you help us find these shorts? And so I went into the kitchen and started making dinner, peanut butter and jellies. And then not three minutes after I had started making dinner, I hear my wife screaming, Parker, Parker, everybody come in here right now. And we go into my bedroom, into my closet, to the dirty clothes bin. And there are the shorts laying over the top of the dirty clothes bin. I had looked in that closet and in that dirty clothes bin, I don't know, six times. And I didn't find them. And of course, what do we do in a cynical, doubtful way? Ask every one of our children who did this. (laughs) Was it you? Was it you? Was it you? And they're all, no, 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 it wasn't us. And I believe that. It wasn't any of them. I think it was God. I believe it was God. That helped us find these purple shorts. Now, if God is willing to help, if God is willing to be present with me and my family to find some basketball shorts, how much more is he a help for you in the greatest needs of your heart? The needs to know that you matter and that you belong and that you have a place. God is present as a help, as an assistant So why is it important in our fearful world to know the presence of God? Because he's safe and he's a help. But how do we experience that? How do we experience God? That's good to know. But how do I know that? How do I experience that? Well, the two commands of this psalm. Verse 8, Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth, how he's made wars to the end of the earth, how he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The psalmist says, Behold the works of the Lord. And he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And he burns the the chariots with fire. What is he referencing? Does that recall anything for you? How about the Exodus? How about the great salvific event in all the Old Testament where God shows up his presence with his people and said, I will redeem you, I will rescue you, I will bring you out from the oppression and the slavery of the Egyptians. Exodus fourteen, thirteen, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent, God tells Moses. Come and behold the works of the Lord, that God has come near to you, has come near to this place on a mission to save us. And we know that Exodus is just a picture, a shadow of the great redemption, where the Messiah shows up, where Jesus comes near, takes on flesh. God dwells among us in our presence, knows the sin and misery and the evil of this world, And there he gets accused of injustices and by some kangaroo court is sent to a cross to die and to pay the penalty for you and for me to bear the curses of the law, to save us, to deal with your big problem, sin, and my big problem, sin. Now what's the difference between the exodus and the cross? The difference is is the people that are silent. God tells Israel, all you have to do is be silent and watch the salvation that I'm about to perform for you. But on the cross, it's not God's people that are silent, it's him. As his son cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the voice that he had heard his whole life, that affirmed him, that knew him, was silent. Didn't say anything. And all he did was pour out his wrath and his justice upon his son and crushed him on the cross for salvation. For your salvation and for my salvation. The psalmist says, if you want to know the experience of God, come and behold what Jesus has done for you. What he's done for me. There's salvation in God. In Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ. But secondly, not only come and behold, but, but to be still. Be still and know that I am God. When's the last time you were still? When's the last time that you were quiet? When's the last time you in your life were able to be separated from everything else in this world, distractions, responsibilities, and you were able just to be quiet and to be still. When was the last time you experienced that? The psalmist comes and tells us to know the experience, to know the sense or have the sense of the presence of God. We've got to be still. Now, what does still mean? The word there actually means to sink, to sink into something. It's the holidays. Everywhere we look, somebody's trying to sell us something, right? Ikea was trying to sell me a couch the other day. (laughs) And their advertising or their marketing was, here's a couch that you can really sink into. That's good. Right? You know what that's like? To have a piece of furniture, a place that you can just relax and you can sink into. When's the last time you were able to sink and relax into God? To let everything go? To surrender To quit trying to build a fort to protect yourself. And just to sink into God and to be still. That's what the psalmist prescribes for us, to know the experience of God. To be still and to behold what he has done for you and for me. Now what keeps us from being still? I'm guessing when I ask you that question, maybe some of you said, well, this morning... But I'm guessing some of you said never. I can't remember the last time I was still. Maybe we can't be still because of responsibilities, because of stage of life with children, because of a job. But I think in my life, and possibly in some of your lives, the reason that you can't be still is because you don't want to be. You're afraid. You're afraid to be still with yourself because it's going to be too painful, too hard to be still and to give your heart to God and to sink into Him. When's the last time you cried? When's the last time you just let it all go before God? Iris Dement wrote a famous song called No Time to Cry. And she says, "This the roosters started crowing when they carried dad away. There, beside my mother in the living room, room I stood with my brothers and my sisters, knowing dad was gone for good. Well, I stayed at home just long enough to lay him in the ground, and then I caught a plane to caught a plane to do a show in North in Detroit Town. Because I'm older now, I have got no time to cry. I've got no time to look back. I've got no time to see." The pieces of my heart that have been ripped away from me. And if the feeling starts to coming, I've learned to stop them fast. Because I don't know if I let them go, they might not pass. And there's just so many people trying to get me on the phone. And there's bills to pay and songs to play and and a house to make a home. I guess I'm older now and I've got no time to cry. Now I sit down on the sofa and I watch the evening news. There's half a dozen tragedies from which to pick and choose. The baby that was missing was found in the ditch today, and their bombs are flying, and people dying not so far away. And I'll take a beer from the refrigerator and go sit out on the on the yard, and with a cold one in my hand, I swallow hard because I'm older now. I've got no time to cry. You hear what she's saying? She doesn't want to be still. She don't want to be present with herself. She doesn't want to be there because it's too painful. It's too hard. If I let it all go, I'm not sure it'll pass. I don't know what's happening in your life today. I don't know what God has done in your life this week or even right now. But I'm encouraging you to find a place where you can be still and know God is a refuge and a strength, a fortress, that your your heart is safe with him. And give him your heart. Feel what it feels like to be you and all your stresses, all your anxieties, all your pain, all your hurt. Be present and be still with him. And behold, know what he's done for you. He saved you. He's given you new life in his son. And he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. A couple of years ago we we had the blast of the Lord of the Rings, all those movies i 'm sure you 've heard ten thousand illustrations about them here 's one more <laughs> you know there 's that great scene at the very end of the Fellowship of the Ring, where Frodo is getting into his elf canoe and has decided well i 'm just going to go to Mordor by myself. The fellowship has failed if you 're familiar with the story and so He takes the ring and starts paddling across this river and out of the woods comes who? But Samwise Gamgee. And he starts yelling, Frodo, Frodo. And Frodo says, no, Sam, I'm going by myself. Of course you are, Mr. Frodo. And he starts jumping into the water and Sam goes, and Frodo goes, you can't swim. He says, I know. And he keeps coming to the point where he starts to drown. And then the next picture is Frodo grabbing him by the hand and pulling him up into the canoe. And what does Samwise Gamgee say? He says, Frodo, I made a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. Don't you leave him. And I don't mean to, he says. I don't mean to. God made a promise to you. God's made a promise to me. To never leave us nor forsake us. His presence is here right now with you and with me. And the encouragement of the psalmist is to give him your heart. Be present with him. Know that he loves you, he's done everything for you. And you're free. You're free in Jesus Christ to be yourself, to feel what you need to feel and be present with him. And to know that he loves you. He cherishes you. You're his child. And he's never going to leave you and he's never going to forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you that you are a God of promise to never leave us nor forsake us. You came near in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to give us new life, to die upon the cross for our sins, to go into the grave and to rise again, to defeat all our enemies, that we might know you, that we might know your presence, that we might know that you're a refuge, a fortress, a safe place, that we can bring not just our minds and our bodies, but all that we are. In Christ's name. Amen.